Wizards After Dark has gone to Europe. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm currently in London. I just watched the Wizards beat the Knicks in in just the weirdest game ever, 101-100. to It was somehow a low-scoring game that was terrible defensively still. It was just the weirdest game ever. The Wizards outscored the Knicks 24-11 to in the fourth quarter. It's actually amazing the Knicks scored 11 points in the fourth quarter. They won on a game-winning goaltending call with uh, that was a Thomas Bryant bucket with .4 seconds left. Thomas Bryant said it was the first game-winning shot he's ever hit in his career. Bradley Beal had 26-9, but he couldn't hit a shot. He was 10-29 for 29 from the field. Otto Porter, I thought, was really good, especially in the second half. He had 20-11, and 8-16 from the field. Sam Decker had some nice contributions off the bench. Wizards just won an ugly one. I'm, I'm in my hotel room in London right now. It is 12.50 a.m. London time. And on the line, because this is in Europe, I've got uh, – are you Russian? Is Mike Vorkanov, is that, is that a Russian name? That's Russian, right? That is a Russian name, yes. Good guessing. So I've got a Russian on the line. So, like, I guess that doesn't quite work with London. That's very far. But no. whatever. I was trying to be creative, and I miserably failed. It's so far from the first time. <laughs> That's all right. It's, it's, co- it's close enough. It's fine. It's like 1 a.m. over there. There you go. Yeah. Is it? Is that right? Um, You tell me. Are there clocks in your hotel room, Fred? <laughs> well, my hotel room is not in Russia. Russia also oh, has, has a shot in London. Uh, no, it's not 1 a.m. in Russia. No, there's no way it's 1 a.m. in Russia. It's going to be like, uh, well, it depends on where we're talking about in Russia. Well, yeah. It, it, I think the European part is five hours uh, ahead. Where I'm from, I think, is six hours. So you get over to the way eastern border, I think it's like 12 hours. So we got lots of times. It's a large place. Yeah, it's not. It's it's kind of big. It's a little bigger in Texas. <laughs> What's our... What's our so full disclosure here? You didn't watch the game. Not really. No. <laughs> it's the first time I've really not watched a game this year. And it was partially my fault in that this was like an event, you know? So you're going around, you're talking to people and you're doing stuff, but I was at my seat for most of the game. But the problem was so they had us good seats in terms of proximity. We were on the baseline, and we were, like, closer than you are in your average NBA arena. There was no problem in terms of access or anything like that. The NBA did actually a great job with it, I thought. I was not expecting to get as good seats as we did. But normally, when you're, like, six – so it's, like, it's like five rows that are, like, the courtside seating, and there's, like, a big walkway area in between. You know what I'm talking about? And then it's us, mm-hmm. where we're, like, at, like, the foot of the stands. But we're first row, and it's not – there's no slope. So we're behind, like, seven rows of people and tons of people walking by, and you just couldn't see the game. You just couldn't Mm -hmm. see the court. And you couldn't stand up because then you were blocking the people behind them, and you had to be on your computer. And so it was just really difficult for me and Candace to quite see what was going on. So I tried. There were a lot of things that I didn't quite get. So I I am just going to have you lead the podcast right now. So just tell me what we're talking about first. Go. I mean, I think we should just talk about the end, honestly. Like, everything else was just kind of, like, build up to that. The Knicks had a lot of threes, and then they regressed to the mean, and Bradley Beal played really well, and Otto Porter played really well. 
But that end, man, I looked. At, I tried to look up on Basketball Reference, like how many times we've had a goaltend in the last second or five seconds decide a game. It wouldn't even let me look for that. It's like, no, nothing like that stupid would ever occur. Why would I even have records of it? Someone tweeted at me that it happened with Jermaine O'Neal, I think, in like 2005. Okay, so the last time anyone can think of is 14 years ago. The last time anybody who saw my tweet and decided to crawl into my Twitter mentions could think of <laughs> Was 14 years ago, yes. Which okay. Is, that, I think that know, explains how it ran. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was I, – I I had never remembered seeing that ever. I had never I, – I, okay, so I see somebody from the league office in the hallway when I'm walking out. I'm like, man, you ever seen that? A game that ends in a goaltend? And he says, yeah, yeah, three or four times. Totally, just found it totally unremarkable. Like, oh. what? <laughs> yeah, three or four times? There is no way. I should have said. I started laughing. I was like, there is no way that you can name three or four times in which you have seen essentially a walk-off. I'm going to call it a walk-off goaltend. It was .4 seconds left. It was a walk-off goaltend. Uh, there's no way. Yeah. If I was the NBA official, I would have just leaned into it and said, no, that's actually never happened before in NBA history. Look at what these London fans got. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I'll tell you what. The crowd in that game was great. It was a great crowd. And and it was it was – it reminded me a little bit of a college tournament crowd in that they were cheering at everything because there was no rooting interest they were just so happy to be watching basketball and they were loud like it got legit loud in there it's actually a beautiful arena which i had heard it was a nice arena but i didn't know if that was just kind of people saying that kind of stuff for the sake of saying it yeah it's a really super nice arena like it is really really state-of-the-art beautiful and it's really big and that crowd was really good it was like a really quality crowd because they, I guess they were just, and rightfully so, they were so pumped to be at an actual NBA game that counted. And it was so great because at the end, it's like this close game. The Wizards are making a comeback and the Wizards score and the crowd roars. And then normally, like if it's in Washington, the Wizards, scores, the Wizards score and the crowd ro- or the crowd kind of simmers if it's in Washington. And then the Knicks score and nobody says anything or they boo or whatever. And here it's just like the Knicks score, the Wizards score, and the crowd roars, and the Knicks score, and the crowd roars again. It's like, what are they, what is going on? And it was, I just thought it was this great, unique environment you never get in an NBA game. I, I, I had a lot of fun with that. I thought that was cool. Which is funny because on the MSG broadcast, because I, unlike you as your understudy, did not go to London, um, <laughs> the Knicks, one of the Knicks announcers was mentioning how like quiet it was for the first quarter, and I was like, no, no, but really, before the game, it was super loud. <laughs> so, like, on the TV, I don't think it caught all of that uh, during the game. Yeah, uh, it wasn't insane. It wasn't really loud until, like, the fourth. Because I think it was just it was just a sluggy, like, a sluggish, groggy game. You know, the Wizards were supposed to fly on Sunday night. They didn't fly until Monday night because of the snowstorm in D.C., they can't really get in practice time. Neither can the Knicks. There's open practices. There's so many obligations that they have to have. There's the time difference. There's all that. It just looked like a sluggish, ugly game. And then it turned into an exciting finish. But for most of it, it was a double-digit game. 
Yeah, it was really weird. It was, um, you know, I, I didn't expect it to last because the Knicks are just not that good of a three-point shooting team. Um, so I expected it to kind of, you know, for them to start missing shots, basically, and the Wizards to get back into it because they had the best players on the court. And that's just, that's kind of what happened. I was a little surprised that the Wizards came out so sluggish at the beginning, although I guess some of it was just, you know, the Knicks were so hot. Um, there's there's kind of nothing they could do about it. And obviously, Luke Cornette presents uh, this unique unique problem to deal with in NBA history, and the Wizards couldn't figure it out for a half. <laughs> I loved watching Luke Cornette hit four threes in the first quarter and imagining, like, there were definitely fans there who were not major basketball experts. <laughs> and I loved them watching there and being like, why have I not heard of this? Luke Cornette guy. He must be he's the best player on the floor. Yes. Um that was a great moment for him. He's he's now like I would really try to leverage that and get some like international branding stuff, see if he can get a like a London based uh, sponsorship. Like really play that up and see if he can become big in London and England. Luke Cornette was great on Twitter. During the uh, during the trip, Luke Cornett is a great guy to talk to. He's one of my favorite Knicks to talk to, and um, yeah, his his whole live streaming, seeing London uh, was funny and it was weird. He had one joke about the uh, guards at Buckingham Palace <laughs> reminding him of his of his dad, which was like, "Wow, I did not expect that to go there." But you should really take a look back at through his Twitter feed if if you haven't yet, and you listen to this podcast. Yeah, it was very funny. It it really entertained me. Let's let's actually stop screwing around. And there are a couple of real basketball things that I do want to talk about, and I do have thoughts on, and that were very relevant to this game. Okay. Number one, Wizards down one. Twenty seven seconds left. Knicks get the ball. Wizards don't foul. Force a shot clock violation. Absolutely massive. The Knicks hit a three there. It's over. The Knicks have, you know, a, a, a bucket of any kind. You know, they, they take away the ability for the Wizards to win on that final possession. I asked Scott Brooks after the game why he decided not to foul. He said he felt like with the way the defense was rolling, they could get a stop. And look, it worked. It ended up being a really good coaching decision. Like, it... And and his logic makes sense. That was Scott Brooks dancing around the fact the Knicks scored two points in the first nine minutes of the fourth quarter. Like holy crap, that was amazing. Yeah. And that was Scott Brooks. Yeah, I mean, I think the confident. I mean, I think he's. I mean, the whole fourth quarter was kind of evidence of that. And even that three that Emmanuel Mudiay hit um, to put them up, I thought was you know it was a difficult shot that I, I think most of the time does not go in. So you're kind of just playing the percentages that they're going to keep on playing like they had in the fourth quarter, and, and it turned out, right? Like, it worked out for them. And, uh, you know, maybe in the alternate universe where it doesn't, you rip them for it. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like those are the chances you have to take if you're the Wizards where you need to constantly now. Um, I think Ted Leones has said, as you documented, they're now playing for the playoffs. Like, you need to take those types of risks to get wins instead of playing for ties or trying to go to overtime or playing it safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was – I don't even know if that was necessarily playing it safe. I kind of think it was more playing it smart. I thought it was an interesting decision at the time, but Brooks's logic made sense. Like the Knicks' offense yeah, yeah. 
was really. I'm, I'm saying Fallon would have been playing it safe because oh, then you're, yes. you know, you're doing what's like the textbook end of game situation. Yes. Okay. Then I'm with you. I also think, man, Scott Brooks keeps going to these small lineups late in games, and and it's cool that he's closing with them. And the lineup they won the game with was one with Thomas Bryant out there because he's a good offensive player, and I think he's kind of finding his sweet spot right now. He had ten and nine tonight in sixteen minutes. He struggled a lot defensively. Like he just he gets out of position on pick and roll a lot, which is fine. He's twenty one years old. He's learning. He's developing. This is all part of the process. But his footwork is off. His anticipation is off. His signal calling is off. He has a lot of a lot to improve on that. But like he's an, he's a second round pick, twenty one year old. They claimed off of waivers, and he's clearly a very good offensive player, and he clearly plays his ass off, and they love him in that locker room. Uh, so, look, total success story. But with the way that Brooks is using him now, I think he's in a little bit of a rhythm of how he's going to use him. And he's going to those smaller lineups more. And the Wizards were way more successful when they played small in this game. They they were just better when they were going small. They weren't as good when Mahimi and when Bryant were, were in the game. They were a minus nine when neither Mahimi or Bryant was at the five, and uh, which makes them, what, a plus 11 otherwise. That's big. Like, lineups with Jeff Green at the five have been successful. Lineups with Jeff Green at the five, and then you have Ariza and Porter as your two switchy guys, have been pretty good. Beal can switch on to guys. Sadoransky can split up, switch on to guys. Like, that. those lineups are working. They're okay enough defensively, and they spread to the three-point line. You can put Jeff Green in the corner. You can put Ariza in the corner. You can put Otto Porter anywhere. I don't even really mind Otto Porter taking mid-range shots because he's so good from mid-range. He's been 50% the previous two years that like, it's kind of okay. And so those lineups are just kind of working. And I just, I wonder if Scott Brooks is going to go to them more because today wasn't with Jeff Green. It was a Chase and Randall closing, but like he still went small. And I, I, they, they're just, they seem to be working when he does it. They seem to be working. Nick struggles. And and it worked against the Knicks too, because they like to play big. You know, they, they start Noah Vonley alongside Luke Cornette. Both those guys, you know, Cornette played 34 minutes, Vonley played 25, Mitchell Robinson played a little bit. So he likes to play two bigs at once, so that can really give a team like the Knicks trouble. Um, and it worked, right? Like, it did give them trouble. It it was their lineup, their winning lineup down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And let's talk about this final play, too. Okay. Bradley Beal being able to give up the ball like that, first of all, that was so predictable. Like, Scott, Scott Brooks has had some pretty good ATOs lately, but the Knicks made it so easy for him on that one. Because <laughs> even Brooks even said after the game, we knew they were going to trap Beal because Beal just gets trapped every time. So we're like, okay, let's just put a screener around Brad and have him roll hard, and we're going to get an open look around the basket. And that's exactly what happened. And Beal found Thomas Bryant, and they got – you know, an open look that ended up being swatted away way too late for a very obvious goaltend, and uh, and it worked. Uh, Brad Brad's ability to deal with those traps, though, it's it's amazing how much better he is now than he was two years ago. Like he he shot terribly today. I thought he played pretty poorly in general, but by his standards, of course, because he's been so great for the last three weeks. Uh, but I mean, his his ability. To be able to play make like that is just such a it's such a huge advancement for them from what he was two years ago. It's just such a big deal for them. I mean, he's <laughs> like it, it, it's not crazy to say that like 
he's he's their best player, I think. Um, it's I think. not it's not not crazy. I think it's. Uh, I mean that that's my opinion. That's where I stand on it right now. Um, and <laughs> I mean it's it's obvious, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's helped to kind of like center the team around someone. Um, and I don't know. I feel like the simplification helps, right? Like you're not just kind of handing off possessions one player or another between him and Wall. Beal runs the show. This is his thing. And it when you uh, simplify things, I think it makes everything more fluid. That's kind of what it seems like with the Wizards right now. Yeah. I wanted to go only 15 minutes, and I told you that. But can we go another five? Because we need to talk about uh, Ted Leonsis. It's, it's your podcast, man. I'm here for however long. Wow. I'm devoted to this podcast. This is my third appearance. I'm here for it. Well, I have you tweeting out my stories. I have you coming on my podcast and coming on for as long as I want. Wow. What a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just here to, to try to get some of that Fred Katz shine. You know, that's all I want. So Ted Leonsis said today he spoke to reporters for the first time this regular season. Leonsis hadn't spoken to reporters yet, and uh, Ernie Grunfeld had not yet spoken to reporters during the regular season. The Athletic, by the way, has requested Ernie Grunfeld on multiple occasions and been turned down, so it's not like we're not doing our jobs. Does when he I not say, speak to the media? No. Does any executive speak to the media outside of, I guess, Ted Leonsis every once in a while? Not on the record. This is the first time Leonsis has spoken, and it's only because they were in London. That's so, that's so weird because the Knicks do that too, and I just I don't get it. Like, I, I just have your executives be out there and speaking for the things that happened during the year instead of putting all the emphasis on the coach, right? Like, they're the ones who built this team. They're the ones who should answer for it often, too. Yeah, yeah. I think also, I just think it's necessary after after pertinent transactions. Like, after you trade for Trevor Ariza. Yeah. You should speak on the record as to why. Oh, wow. They didn't even talk after, he didn't talk after no, that? No, no. He literally has not spoken. Wow. Oh, yeah. That is... I mean, the and Ernie, I, like... I've requested him after most transactions and gotten turned down. I, and so Scott Brooks is always the one talking? That's just, that's weird. I mean, if you're a fan, don't you want to hear from the guy who's making the trades, not the guy who then has to implement oh, go, all that? Go check my Twitter mentions. They want to hear. <laughs> it's so, it's hear. so hard to ask for accountability from players and from coaches and then not give your own public accountability uh, yourself. I agree. I think that's a fair statement. But today, Ted Leonsis gave some accountability. He spoke, and he answered every question. And we asked him, you know, Candace and I were there, and we asked him about, um, you know, his belief in the team and the potential future of the organization. And he said that they will never tank, and they don't want to tank. And the goal for this season, he said in no uncertain terms, is still to make the playoffs. And he said it over and over and over again. And uh, that's, that's I mean, not necessarily a surprise. That's how Leonsis thinks. But when you're now 19 and 26, granted, they've won six out of nine, and they're playing better over these last few weeks or so. But that's, you know, that's, that's news. That's something. I'm going to have something on that in the morning. I I found it interesting. He made I saw your tweet that he compared it kind of to the Capitals, who obviously won the Stanley Cup last year. But I I mean that's kind of like a that's a specious argument because the Capitals were the best team in the league at times, even when they didn't win the Stanley Cup. Right? The Wizards have never been the best team in the Eastern Conference, let alone all of the NBA. So the Capitals, you know, always have the talent. They just kind of underperform in the playoffs. 
the, the Wizards have always, you know, at most been exactly where they're supposed to be. And now's your time to be able to restructure and find an opportunity to, like, infuse young talent into the organization, almost like the Grizzlies did last year when they when they had that opportunity presented to them. I would take advantage of it. I get from Leon's standpoint why you're paying a lot of money. Um, you want you want to see some return for it. I'm sure the postseason home game revenue is nice too, but I, I don't know. Sometimes you have to be realistic, don't you? Yeah, you do. And, and I think, look, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about hockey, so I can't speak to the capital stuff. And I know other people have kind of made that point to me, but I can't speak to it because I just don't know anything about hockey. But what I can say is that those two situations are absolutely nothing alike. They are different players. They are different people. They are different management. They're different sports. They're, they're different human beings. Like, it's not the same thing. That's like saying that the Wizards should keep it together because Apple didn't tank when it wasn't doing as well as it wanted to in 1982. Like, it's just a different company in a different industry. Like, it's just a different thing. Like, or to use a Leonsis comparison, it would be like he should say that the Wizards shouldn't tank because AOL didn't tank. <laughs> like, and I'm not even arguing that the Wizards should tank. I am merely trying to poke a hole and saying they're not the same thing. They're just not. Just because he's associated with both of them, don't make them the same thing. The, uh, the foundations of them are completely different because the people are different, the industries are different. And the starting points are different. And I think that's enough to say it's different. Another quote that I thought was weird, and I'm going to mention this in my write-up of it for tomorrow morning. So he compared the possibility of tanking to what happened in Philadelphia. He said, we just played Philadelphia, and they have, sh- they have shoes that say trust the process, and they were really, really bad for seven years. I looked when we beat them at home, and he was referring to the fact that the Wizards beat the Sixers at home a week ago. And they had two guys they picked in the first round in that lineup. That process is pretty risky in and of itself, and I don't think you can tell players, coaches, staff, don't make the playoffs and tank. We will never, ever tank. We have a strategic plan when I first brought the team to blah, 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 blah. Okay, a couple what? of things. A couple of things. Number one, I agree. I don't think you can tell the coaches, the staff, and the players don't make the playoffs and tank. I totally agree with that. That's, that's bad for culture. You can't do that to competitive people. But that's not what people mean when they talk about tanking. They're talking about an executive strategy. And what they're really talking about is rebuilding, more so than they're talking about intentionally losing. They're talking about having a a thought for the future than they are for a thought for today or tomorrow, but like years down the line. And the Philadelphia comparison just doesn't make sense. Like he he looked at them and they only had two first-round picks in their starting lineup. Well – That's because they traded Dario Saric and Robert Covington, who were both process products, for Jimmy Butler, who the Wizards were trying to trade for but couldn't put together a good enough package for, so he went to the Sixers for two process products. Ben Simmons was a first overall pick. Like, Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate. Uh, J.J. Redick was willing to go there because of the talent that they had on that roster and obviously for geography as well and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's a different situation. I mean, the whole the whole point of the process is – and also, they weren't bad for seven years. They were bad for like three years, four years. But the whole point of the process 
and this is a thing that bugs me about the process. The when people talk about it and say it didn't work because look, like Okafor is not good and Nerlens Noel isn't that good and Michael Carter Williams isn't good. They flip Michael Carter Williams preemptively when a lot of organizations wouldn't, by the way, for a really, really good draft pick. But this is why it bugs me when people say this stuff because the point of the process is not you tank and then you get really good players. The point of the process is that it acknowledges that a lot of the times you are going to miss no matter how high your pick is. So you need to create as many picks as you possibly can so you can cast your net as wide as possible. And then if you only have a 40% hit rate, you're going to be a lot better because you had 10 tries and you got four guys as opposed to having only five tries and getting only two guys. And that's what you do. You know why they were able to trade Robert Covington for Jimmy Butler? They were able to do it because five years ago they picked Robert Covington off the scrap heap and they gave him a chance and they developed him into that. Now they're doing that with Thomas Bryant, which is great for them, but they're not giving guys like Troy Brown an opportunity. Like that's the reason, that's how you get to that point. And I'm not saying the Sixers did everything right. They clearly have made a ton of mistakes along the way. But I just thought that was such a weird thing to bring up. Like, that was such a weird comparison, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it. I don't know. It, 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 I think, like, the, the weird thing about the process is as, obviously, as disliked as it was at the time, now that it's over, like, everyone tries to misappropriate it. Um, it's for their own benefit. Uh, tries to appropriate, it, but they do it wrongly, and it, it's just funny. But yeah, Leon says I don't. I don't see how he got what he got out of uh, looking at what the Seventy Sixers did. Um, I I don't know. I, I I think just it just it, it would it would worry me because if I'm a Wizards fan and I hear the owner speaking like that, I wonder uh, if his motives and his uh, understanding of the game line up with the current infrastructure of the league and how you become good. Yeah. And look, there are ways to get good without completely bottoming out. Houston did it. They eventually made a James Harden trade. But the Wizards don't even need to bottom out this year. Um, no. Like, they're, they're already past bottoming, bottoming out. You know, you just kind of you understand what's best for the long-term future of the organization, especially where they're at, where they really need to, like, pile up uh, good, cheap, cost-controlled players, right? And what's the best way to acquire that? It's not to keep you know, taking guys at 16 and then trading them away three years later for Trevor Ariza. It's trying to get someone in the top 10 or the top eight and put them alongside Beal and Wall because you'll be stuck with them forever and maybe Otto Porter. I, I just, I mean, that seems fundamental to me. Yeah. Before, before we sign off, I just want to read this quote because I thought this quote kind of got buried. I didn't really see people talking about it and I think it's newsworthy. He said that the goal is still to make the playoffs. And then he said, I'm not, ha- uh, I'm not all that happy with our performance, but you have to make non-emotional what's right for the franchise, what's right for the team. And then he said, and if you were a leader and you set out goals and you don't meet the goals, yeah, there might be a price to pay by everyone, right? Everything would be considered if you don't meet your goals. And then he says, but we're 40 games in. We're half the season through. And so the team makes the playoffs. Let's make the playoffs. Let's see, blah, blah, blah. But that's a little nugget into his mindset. His goal is to make the playoffs. Right now they're not in the playoffs. And there's a little bit of like something could happen if they don't make the playoffs. Because of that quote, I'm, I, I don't know what the something is. 
something could be so many gazillion different things. But that <laughs> that quote leaves leaves things open to interpretation. Yeah, and that that makes you wonder. Hey, when can we talk to Ernie Grunfeld? <laughs> Good way to end it, uh, Mike. I, I I don't even think I said what you do. You got you know, whatever. You've been on this podcast like four times. You cover the Knicks for the Athletic. Plug your plug your awesome Knicks work because you're like me. You like weird, fun stories. Yeah, um, you know, go check us out at theathletic.com backslash Knicks. I'm on Twitter, Mike Workinoff. Um, I try to write some fun stuff that doesn't always deal with the Knicks, um, and uh, that's the best I can do at selling myself on here. Well, <laughs> you you do great stories. People should read your stuff. Uh, I also had a story that came out on Thursday morning that you can check out about the. Which was very fun. Thanks, dude. Uh, about the culture. It was really fun to put together because I spoke to a lot of, like, patently crazy people. <laughs> about the culture of European basketball fans watching games in the middle of the night. Because with start times in the NBA, games are on at, like, 2 in the morning. Which is a perfect way to take this podcast round trip. Some, some, uh, round, 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 round trip? Circle back? What's the What's the thing? Round circle? What is it? Uh, yeah, sure. We'll go with round circle. I don't think that's right. That I don't think you take something round circle. Time is a flat circle, I've heard. Everybody says that. That's the most overquoted line from an overrated TV show, by the way. Whoa. Whoa. Damn wow. True Detective is overrated. True Detective. Season 1 is really good. See, this is why. That's what everyone's defense is. Season 1 was really good. How many like great TV shows were only good for one season? I mean, but I mean, this is like a very difficult discussion to have at the end of a podcast as we're trying to just rifle through into the end. We, we should save this for another pod. I'm happy to have this conversation. True Detective is a series of miniseries. It's not uh, a yeah. TV show. Yes, but each each season is it's kind of like self encased. Yeah, it's, it's each season is its own miniseries. When you talk about your favorite TV shows, I don't like. I don't know. It's only one really good season. It's just only one. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's my favorite show of all time. It's not yes, like you Matt are. Matt. I heard it's, you say it. I heard you say it's your favorite show of all time. Can you at least admit that Matthew McConaughey playing I forget whatever his name was on True Detective was just great? Like it, it was just great to take in and watch for I think it was like ten episodes or whatever it was. That really made the show, and that's why people loved season one and love using that line because he's a like great, he's a great actor, and I I'm a huge Woody Harrelson fan. I enjoy everything Woody Harrelson does. And uh, Woody Harrelson, of course. He's great. Uh, uh, it was good for one season. It's 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 the uh, – I'm trying to think. Who – it's like uh, – who was great when he did – it's like the Tyreek Evans of shows. Comes in – it's like the Michael Carter Williams. Comes in, rookie no, of the year. No, don't do that to True Detective. Come on. Comes in, rookie of the year – First game of his career, he almost has a quadruple double against LeBron's Heat team, and then no, and that's just it's just gone. But we enjoyed it while it was here, and it lives on forever in the culture. And um, maybe Michael season Carter three Williams. is good. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I enjoyed Michael Carter Williams leading Syracuse to the Final Four. <laughs> oh God! I'm gonna let you end this podcast. I'm done. I got nothing else to say after you just hear besmirching True Detective Season 1's good name. All right. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. 
I said we were going to go short. I said I barely watched the game, and then we end up going over a half an hour. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give us five stars. You can do it on iTunes. You can leave a review if you're feeling super-duper generous, and uh, I hope you are if you enjoy the show. That's always great. When people leave reviews like that, the Wizards have three days off after this. They're off Friday, off Saturday, off Sunday. They're back on Monday for Martin Luther King Day against the Pistons. That's another afternoon game. Lots of afternoon games, but they're playing Monday afternoon, and uh, I'll be having a guest after that one and podcasting after that one, and I'll talk to you guys then.